Before we begin, um, as always, wanted to um, point out for the benefit of our guests, there's a gold sheet in your service folder and uh, really encourage you to take a look at that if you'd like. It kind of helps you see where we're going, fill in, take notes, uh, use it as a Bible study with the questions on the back side. Well, per the video, the theme of the service, talking about time. And the question, there is one question that people tend to ask more than any other question when it comes to time. It's kind of a trivial question, but not all the time trivial. It's one that you ask maybe 10 times, 20 times, or at least think about that many times each day. It's the question, what time is it, right? We're always cognizant of that, and responsible adults and youth should be cognizant of what time it is. You don't want to be late, so we look at our watches, we look at our cell phones, we check out clocks out in the community or at a bank. We look, we see, we check out the answer to that in our service even. A lot of you are going to be checking your watches two or three times during the sermon, which is, which is always funny to me because I know communion Sundays are a little bit different, but we always get you out of here within a 10-minute window or so. So, you know, looking at your watch isn't going to help anything. But we still look because we want to know, how's he doing? What time is it? Now, it's not a bad question to ask. I ask it. I will continue to ask it. But my hope, I wish... We would ask another question just as frequently, just as much as we ask the question that just rolls off our lips, what time it is. Because there is a question, a different one, that is more foundational, more biblical, and more important for us to be asking every day, maybe 20 times a day. Now, instead of me just giving you the fill in the blank there, let me lead you to that question first. Recently, a a consulting firm in Pennsylvania did an interesting survey, and you've probably heard something like this before. I know I had. What they did is they kind of looked at people's lives, and they looked at what the average usage of time is for different activities for an average lifespan of about 70 years. Listen to some of the findings from this consulting firm survey. If you live to be about 70, you will, on average, spend six months waiting at red lights. Eight months opening and dealing with junk mail, all right? And spam is probably similar to that. Um, The average person, if they live to 70 in America, will spend two years trying to return phone calls. One year looking for things they've misplaced. And I know for a fact that that's not the same for every single person, that some people, that would be a much larger number for them. Two and a half years riding in a car. Twelve years, what do you think I'm going to say? Twelve years of your life, sleeping is more than that, about a third of your life. Watching TV, the average American, twelve years. And now they even started one looking at what would Facebook project. About two years of your life clicking through Facebook and looking at pictures. Now, when you think of all the time that is spent on trivial things, it leads us to ask this more foundational question. Not what time is it, but what or how are you using it? What are 
we doing with our time? What am I doing with my time? Now, here's why this series is so important for me and you, hopefully. (laughs) We're busy. I mean, if I, I were to look at your calendar, if you still put it on the refrigerator, or for many of you, your smartphone, and look at your calendar, like, it would be filled with stuff. If Pastor Ben or Pastor Steve wanted a cup of coffee with you, you know, it would be hard to get on your schedule. You are busy. I am busy. And after a summer, after a day, after a week, after a month, we're exhausted, we're worn out. We won't admit it, but we're crabby because we're so tired, we're so busy. But at the very same time, we find it hard to find time for things we know are important. We find it hard in the busy life, and we're go, 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 to we find ourselves cutting out the things that if we were to be objective should be the most important things. In fact, there's a... a, a um, oh, back up a second. It's interesting, too, how easily we can blame this busyness on culture. I know I, I like... I mean, it's just so hard in this culture to have godly priorities... This community, with this sports schedule, with this music, whatever. You know, it almost sounds, when I say that to myself, like culture is some cosmic force that has this means of, like, actually working itself right into my smartphone and putting things on my calendar for me, as if I don't have control over it, right? Does this culture make it hard? Absolutely. Is culture to blame? I don't think so. I don't think so. Let me come at this from a, one other angle as we're prepping for this series here. Take that same Pennsylvania consulting firm. What would happen if their survey was not the average American's usage of time? What if they did that same survey and followed you and me around individually for a week, for a month, for a lifetime. When you think about the results that would occur or happen or the, the, the addition of the, the time used, are you feeling pretty good about it? Maybe we're not quite sure. Maybe we know we'd be a little bit embarrassed about how much time we give to certain things. And the thing is, is that time is a limited resource, isn't it? kind of chuckles. I've watched that video now about five or six times, and I've watched my life slip away as he goes, there goes another second, and another second. I mean, I've done that five times. (laughs) Life is a limited, time is a limited resource. And for some of you, this happens in everyone's life. There's a point in your life, it usually happens way older than I am, like in your mid-40s or so. Um, You wake up one day and you, you start noticing that you're not looking at your life in terms of how old you are, but instead, how many years you have left. I bet that applies to some of us. It actually does apply to me already. I mean, I, I've thought about it. I'm about halfway done with my earthly life. And so, you wake up one day and you realize, I, I'm running out of time. And how am I going to use the time that God has given me for godly priorities? What am I doing with my time? That's the question. 
That's the question that we're going to be answering this entire series. So to begin today, as I mentioned, we're going to look at an overriding principle that is going to come up every single week. It just is over the top of all we talk about. What we're going to do is look at the book of Psalm, in fact, uh, Psalm 90. Now, the thing with Psalms is a little bit different than preaching through a story like about Elijah like we did a couple weeks ago or, or some account from the life of one of the, the, the figures in the Bible. Um, there's not really a storyline there. It's flowery language. The psalms are songs. So just as you enjoy good lyrics of songs that you like and you kind of hum them and think about them, the psalms is meant to be thought about, to think about the imagery in the words. Now, when we think of the writers of the psalms, for those of you who have some, you know, um, uh, familiarity with them, what person do you think of first when thinking of writers of the psalms? Anyone? David, yeah, King David. Um, He wrote more than half of them. Today we're looking at a person that you probably never knew wrote a psalm or forgot. 500 years before David, there was a man named Moses, the same guy who led Israel out of Egypt, the same guy who received the Ten Commandments. Moses actually wrote a hymn 500 years before the hymnal got published, so to speak. They stuck it in there by inspiration of Moses wrote by inspiration of God. Now, understand his words in this psalm. You just need to realize a little bit about Moses' life. Real quickly, Moses was born Jew, a Jew with Jewish blood, okay? But he was born in Egypt, and very quickly, he got brought into an Egyptian home. In fact, he was Egyptian royalty, And while living in that home, he learned lots of things. He learned what it means to act like an Egyptian, and he he learned what it means to talk like an Egyptian. He even learned how to walk like an Egyptian. (laughs) Making sure you're still with me. But it's true, he did. Diane, you just got it, didn't you? (laughs) Al, sometimes you just need to give her a little... But there came a time where God called him from his Egyptian culture to go ahead and to lead his people, Israel, out of Egypt. And that's exactly what Moses did. It was hard, but with God's help, that happened. Now, as most of you know, they didn't, Moses, actually get to the promised land. Because of their sin and their mistrust, what happened is that Moses was told that he would wander around in a desert for the last 40 years of his life. Now think about that. To wander around for the last 40 years of his life. And so every day he woke up and wandered and went to bed. And then he woke up, what am I going to do today? I'm going to wander. And there was more to it than that. But he wandered for 40 years knowing he's never going to get into the promised land. Knowing that in some aspects the goals for his life are never going to happen. And with 40 years of wandering, that gives you a lot of time to think and to pray and to consider, what's the point? What's the point of my life? What's the point of these 40 years? What's the point of our lives? So at the end of, near the end of his life, is when he wrote this psalm about life and about time. We turn to that psalm, and again, because they're filled, lyrics filled with lots of meaning, we're going to kind of take them slowly. 
but we start in Psalm 90, verse 1. Moses writes, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Time marches on, doesn't it? Parents get old, go home to heaven. People are born, people die. But God has always been here. He will always be here. Our life is in the, we view it sometimes in the context of birth to death. God's existence is from Otto all the way to Eli, from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 3, you turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. God's eternal. Our earthly lives are not. No matter who you are or what you do or where we live, someday, unless Jesus comes back first, our bodies will turn back to dust. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. I've seen people do a lot of weird things with this verse. In fact, sometimes people wonder about the, the meaning of this verse and, and try to correspond it with creation. And, you know, is, is time just different for God so that, you know, each day of creation could be millions of years long? And, you know, there's, is time just different? I mean, here's the thing. People think too much, okay? When I have a trip of a thousand miles, how long does a hundred miles seem? When I have a trip of a hundred miles, how long does a hundred miles seem? When you live from everlasting to everlasting, a thousand years is like a day. And it gets worse. (laughs) Or a watch in the night. A watch, there were three watches every night. Each were three hours long. So now what God is saying is, a thousand years to us is like three hours to him. A thousand years to us, three hours to him. So what's 70 to 80 years to him? Using that same math. Get out your calculators. No, I already did the math. 70 years, using that same sort of comparison... 70 years to us is 15 minutes to God. You've heard of 15 minutes of fame, right? That's all you got. Our whole lives, in the perspective, in the context of everlasting to everlasting, is what? Comparable to 15 minutes. When we begin to understand the bigness of God and the short amount of time we have, now we're starting to get the context of how to view our time. Not the context of birth to death, the context of everlasting to everlasting. Verse 5. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new By evening it is dry and withered. 
the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. See, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> I see tears out there, and you know, I'm just making you feel really good reading God's word today. I was thinking maybe we could use these uh, verses and put out a, a calendar with inspirational verses on the top of each month. What do you think? <laughs> maybe not these verses, right? But God's point today is not to depress us. God's point in saying our lives are like 15 minutes is not to make us feel as if our 15 minutes doesn't matter. That's not God's point. God's point is not for us to feel insignificant about the 70 or 80 years that we have. God has one simple point here through Moses, and that is to remind you today and to remind me through my study this week that our lives are brief. That they are short. That we so easily find ourselves, sometimes by accident, sometimes by purpose, or on purpose, making our lives very much, first of all, about my goals and all about me. And God, if you want to come into my story, well then, you better fit in into my plans. I can squeeze you. But that there is a much bigger picture, a much bigger context, a much bigger plan. Are you starting to feel just a little bit small? Good. Moses wants us to, not to depress us, to direct us, to teach us. He makes us feel just a little bit smaller yet before he builds us up. So I'm just warning you. Verse, um, verse 11. Now he talks about not just the, the, the bigness of God's existence, but the bigness of his glory. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Here's the thing. When it comes to God and how we picture him, you know what the imagery is I like the most? I like friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. I like shepherd that gently guides. I like brother. Jesus is our brother. Don't ever lose hold of those comforting truths because that is exactly in his love what Jesus became for you. Your friend, your savior, your brother. He's your shepherd gently guiding you and sometimes not so gently. But at the very same time, you know what God is not? Sometimes we like to make him our buddy. And in that sense, what I mean is, what, we, what do we do with buddies? We like buddies to kind of do what we want them to do and to kind of get around to understanding my point of view. And in that sense, there's another side to God. He's our friend, brother, because he chose to be, because he loves you that much. But at the same time, he's your God. He's my God. And he's worth our worship. And he's not only worth it, he is due the glory that we give him. He is worthy of the worship that we give him. His existence is far bigger than we are. His being is much bigger than we are. There's a bigger context, a bigger plan. Now, 
Moses says. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, as if he's praying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. This doesn't come naturally to me. Lord, I pray, teach me to number my days aright. Do you know what that means, to number your days? You've done this before. You've numbered your days. Um, How many of you ladies are married or have been married? Raise your hand. And, and I know, so we can do this all day until your hands get up, all right? <laughs> no, all right, just put your hands down. Most of us, right? During that time frame of your engagement and before the wedding came, you numbered your days. Like when people asked you, when are you getting married? You not only knew the day, but some of you could say, 25 days, 10 hours, and 13 minutes, and you, you, know, you had the countdown going. And you numbered your days. That is, you lived this day in view of what would happen in the end, in view of your wedding. When I was at, a senior at the seminary, um, a bunch of my classmates, because um, I would never do this, at the beginning, or I'm sorry, in one of our classes, they put on the whiteboard how many days were left until graduation or until call day. And um, the thing is that it was not like the the last week of school. It was like the first week of school. So I really felt bad for the professor. Like we're just can't wait to get away from him or something, you know. But each day we came into the classroom as that number changed, we numbered our days. We, We went to class in view of what would be coming. You've numbered your days if you ever went on vacation. You numbered your days if you've ever been waiting for a baby. You've numbered your days if you ever had surgery. You numbered your days if you ever went to school. What Moses is saying, because our lives are brief, because we live in the context of everlasting to everlasting, that God says, Moses says, to live in view of the end. To live today, number it, in view of the end in heaven. To remember, like Paul says, that you are a citizen of heaven and to spend your 15 minutes of time right now and tomorrow in view of what is coming and of what Jesus has done for you. Verse 13. Relent, O Lord. How long will that be? Have compassion, on your servants. In other words, Moses is making a confession. Lord, I confess that I haven't always numbered my days aright. Lord, I confess that sometimes I've lived first to my glory and then to you instead of the other way around. Lord, I confess that I far too often view what I need to do today in the context of birth to death instead of Everlasting to everlasting. Lord, I need your compassion. I need your forgiveness. I don't get this right all the time. Please forgive my failings. And then we have my favorite verse. The entire section in our last one. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. 
Satisfy us when, does it say? In the morning. Can, can I give you the context of this? A couple of verses earlier, what did Moses compare our lives to? A watch in the night. What usually comes after night? Morning. When our 15 minutes, when our watch is over, when that is ended, however it goes, Moses writes, satisfy me when the dawn of heaven rises. Satisfy me at the end of my watch with the grace and forgiveness and love that you have for me through Jesus. After my brief life is over, it is not the end. I just get to spend the rest of it with you. Satisfy me with that grace and with that knowledge. And don't just satisfy me then. Satisfy me now with that as I remember Jesus and what he's done for me that I today may sing for joy. And as I live my life and use my time, be glad all our days. Here's the thing as we close. At a certain point in every one of our lives, it might be because work's not going right or we're not really fulfilled there. It might be because life didn't go in the direction that we had always planned. We ask the question, what's the point, right? What's the point? I just get up, go to work, come home, Christmas comes, Christmas goes, another Christmas is here. I mean, what's the point? When you're young, you kind of think, you know, you are the point, right? And the world just kind of revolves around you. When you get older, you realize, my life is not so different than everyone else's. What's the point? Let me ask, do you know anyone's life story that went kind of like this, all right? You know anyone that was born and then went to elementary school and middle school and then graduated from high school? You know anyone who then after high school got a job or went to college? You know, very, two very different routes. And, right, because then after college they got a job and, you know, now everyone is the same again, right? And then, do you know anyone who looked to get married at that point and then got married and maybe through circumstances got married twice? And, you know anyone who then decided, you know, we should have some kids, novel idea, uh, maybe have kids if God blesses them with that, and then have grandkids? Do you know anyone who then after that um, retired and decided to spoil their grandkids um, and travel a little bit and uh, play golf? And then do you know anyone who after that got sick with something and died? <laughs> like, everyone? <laughs> but this is not depressing. This is not a depressing thing. I know some people, they can't even talk about death because they get too depressed. This is not a depressing thing. It's a thing that every one of us needs to remember. Because we have a certain amount of time here on this earth that we can live in the context of ourselves or in the context of everlasting to everlasting. And as we use that time, we realize that whatever happens to me today, the Lord will satisfy me in the morning. And when my watch is over, I pray that I've used my minutes to his glory, 
and spend my eternity with him. So we number our days with the end firmly in mind every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, sometimes I take my time for granted. Thank you for today. Thank you for the time with this group. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. Lord, may the knowledge of my brevity of life, of our brevity of life, not make us sad. May it give us purpose. May it give us hope as we think about the morning that is coming, the eternal dawn of heaven. And with that and your son firmly in mind, may we number our days today. In Jesus' name, amen. This time I did.